You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. To help make sense of these topics, we'll sit down with thought leaders and do what we do best at the Conference Board, provide trusted insights for what's ahead. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series, and in today's conversation, we will examine the phenomenon of gray swans. If you're listening to this podcast regularly, you've heard of black swans, which are entirely unforeseen events that can't be predicted. Well, we're going to talk about gray swan events today. Joining me today is Dana Peterson, the Chief Economist here at the Conference Board. Dana, welcome. Hi, Steve. It's great being here. So, Dana, you've written about gray swans, uh, which are different from black swans. Can you just first describe for everybody what's a black swan, then what's the difference between that and a gray swan? Absolutely. A black swan is an unimaginable high-impact event that really affects the global economy, or at least large regions. On the other hand, gray swans are predictable, but low probability events that if they are realized, they will have a major impact. So to give an example of each, the pandemic really was a black swan. It's not that we haven't had pandemics in the past, but they're infrequent, you know, 100, 200 year events, and no one was expecting this to happen. And once it did happen, well, three years later, we're still seeing the repercussions of that. So that's kind of a a black swan event, right? A gray swan event is, an example would be the war in Ukraine. So for example, if you go back to 2021, late during that period of time, we were hearing in the news, potentially Russia might invade Ukraine. Lots of people thought that was just ridiculous. Why would they do that? Why would they start a war? But certainly in the US, um, policymakers were, gearing up for such an event. And then when it happened, it still shocked the world. And even a year later, we're seeing the repercussions of that in terms of high inflation, the certainly the humanitarian crisis, and even ramping up of tensions in the last few days. Right. So Grace One events are, I guess, predictable is what you're saying in, in some sense, but because they're low probability, even though they're predictable, you know, what should businesses be doing about it? Should you just be, you know, planning on these things all the time? I think the answer is yes. (laughs) Uh, We've certainly seen over the last, you know, 20 years, a number of really surprising events. We had the great financial crisis that that started in the U.S. with a housing collapse, but spread throughout the world. Then we saw the sovereign debt and banking crisis in Europe. And then we had the pandemic, and then we had the war in Ukraine, which is having global influence. And so I think businesses should always, um, you know, certainly have a a set of risks that they're focused on, but keep these gray swan events, these kind of low probability events in their minds and make sure that they are doing some stress testing around at least a few of them. So what's your list of possible gray swans for 23? Sure. You can pretty much break them up into seven categories. So they can be geopolitical, right? So anything having to do with politics and war or disgruntlement between nations. So that's one. A second is economic, right? A third is social. A fourth is something that's policy-induced. 
right? Another is environmental. A six is technological. And then if I haven't depressed everyone enough, the seventh one is positive, something that's beneficially transformative. So thinking about that, I'm, I'm happy to talk about a few gray swans for this year in each of those categories. Yeah, please, please do. Sure. So let's first start with geopolitical. There's, you know, the war in Ukraine is, is front and center. Um, the anniversary is right here. And yet there's still no resolution. And it seems like things are getting worse. How could things get worse? Well, I think one unimaginable, well, one imaginable, but low probability event is that this war spills over into a NATO country, right? So, so far it's been relegated to Ukraine. Ukraine's not part of NATO, even though Ukraine is, is receiving support from NATO allies, including the US and Germany. Um, but let's say it spills over, right? Then you, you draw in NATO directly into this conflict. And I think that's something that, um, you know, President Putin in Russia has been very careful about making sure that it's kind of remaining amongst or at least within economies um, that aren't part of NATO, but suppose that spills over. And then something related to that NATO is what if NATO actually disintegrates, right, where the pressures are too great or economies are not interested in in deploying either funds or people to NATO and it breaks apart. Well, that has significant global implications because then there's no resistance, if you will, to some of the geopolitical aims of Russia as well as China. So, you know, again, while these are not the base case and we think that they're very, we don't even think that they're risks necessarily, they are gray swans. Um, some other geopolitical events that we might think about is the relationship between the US and China. We know it's been very tense, um, even going back to 2018, 2019, and we had the trade wars, and certainly even fast forwarding to now, we have the US limiting uh, semiconductor shipments to China and China you know, cracking down on what businesses can do, US foreign businesses, in particular the US, um, and also China's relationship with China, with Russia. I mean, that also, all those things are kind of tied together. So we know these tensions are strong, but one big gray swan is what if China does uh, take full control over Taiwan? Well, of course that, that draws in almost every economy. Why? Because Taiwan is a huge producer of semiconductors. And semiconductors are computer chips, and all computer chips are not created equally. They're all different. And even if you think about a car, it's got thousands of different types of chips. And so if you have an entire economy that, you know, is essentially cut off um, because it's being fully absorbed into, like, you know, China, then you're going to have potentially major semiconductor chip shortages. And we got a little taste of that during the pandemic where all of a sudden the prices of goods, of anything that cars, appliances that use computer chips spiked. Um, number one, because you couldn't get those chips. And number two, it was difficult to ship them around the world. So that's, well, you know, that's certainly not, we, we certainly aren't pricing in China, you know, fully taking over Taiwan, but it certainly is something that could potentially happen. And, um, so those are just a few of the 
kind of top of mind geopolitical gray swans you might think of. When we think about energy and environment, well, looking at China again, China is China, Russia, uh, the Congo, all what something all these economies have in common is that they produce rare earths. What are rare earths? Rare earths are materials that go into batteries. And batteries are going to be, well, they are and will continue to be very critical to the global energy transition. And certainly if you have economies, in particular China, deciding, well, as part of their policy that they want to restrict exports in those goods or raise prices very precipitously, then that's going to have a shock, a massive shock, and it's going to affect the ability of the electrification and the use of batteries around the world as an alternative source of energy. So that's that's one of the environmental and energy ones. Um, one that may be a little bit uh, closer to home to some people is looking at the Middle East. So the MENA region, the Middle East region is still a huge producer of oil and natural gas. And certainly, even though we're going through this energy transition, fossil fuels are part of that transition. Most of the world is still running on coal and oil and gas, and it's going to take time to transition. And certainly natural gas is thought of as a transition material. Um, but let's say that you, know, you have these big oil facilities in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia or Kuwait or the UAE, and they're all, they all come under attack at once. Now we had a little taste of that a few years ago, when um, parts of the Saudi Arabia energy production infrastructure was bombed. But what if this all happens and you have this big disruption? Certainly that could be, and that disruption is lengthy and it's happening all at once. So that's another gray swan. Another interesting gray swan around energy and environment is, well, I'm gonna combine a couple of these things, but certainly flooding and droughts, right? Flooding is too much water, droughts are not enough water. But certainly you could have um, the case where you have in Antarctica, there's these giant ice shelves. And one of them, one of the biggest ones is being undermined right now by water, right? The seas are warmer and it's undermining this ice shelf. Should this ice shelf break off, it could potentially raise sea levels by something nuts like, you know, 10 meters or something like that. But that's really significant because you have many, many low-lying areas throughout the world, especially major cities, not, not just only in emerging markets, but even in the US that could potentially become inundated with water. And so that means that you'd have material losses in terms of insurance. Um, you'd have massive amounts of migration it would just be really devastating and dramatic. Now, again, these are gray swans, you know, low probability events, but this could certainly happen. Yeah, you know, and you talked about the uh, pandemic being a black swan event, which is sort of unpredictable, but I start, you know, you, and you said well, there could be more pandemics. It's interesting when you that, that you say that because you're reading now about this Marburg virus, which is breaking out, which, which is very deadly. Uh, Zika, of course, is a problem. You, you, you certainly have possibility of more COVID variants. So that once black swan event could still be, you know, have gray, gray swan offspring, right? Yes, absolutely. And 
certainly um, the key issue is, would the world's response be the same, right? Would we still fight to, you know, find uh, cures and, and vaccines and treatments? Or would we just say, well, this is just another thing that we can just get over and ignore and it becomes out of control to the point where governments start shutting down again. So I think that, you know, certainly you could have these residual effects from one black swan event. And I, and I think that's very evident, certainly just again, going back to the war in Ukraine, one country invades another and it causes hunger throughout the world and, and, and inflation in terms of elevated food and energy prices. And then you have sanctions and reprisals that cause you know, a crisis of, of living in Europe and, and political unrest in MENA and Asian regions and also in uh, sub-Saharan Africa because there's a lack of food and energy is too expensive. So you could certainly have this kind of domino effect of other things happening on account of the realization of a single gray swan. You know, baby swans are called cygnets. It, as I listen to you talk, you, you have to think about the gray swans, but you have to think about all their gray cygnets too, because each one of these could have a a, a knock-on effect or a ripple effect or, you know, some, some, so there's the war in Ukraine, but, you know, that impacts that area. It was the energy and the food implications of it that started hitting supply chains elsewhere. So there's this, so as, so I'm trying, you know, as I'm thinking about, you know, how do we advise members to think about these things? You know, you really do need to get down to you know, each knock-on effect or unintended consequence. Well, that's why we call them global gray swans. But there's great news, Steve. We actually have a tool that we are building out uh, called the Global Gray Swans Tool. Um, it's actually an offshoot of an existing tool. We have the China Gray Swans Tool that was developed by our experts in our, our China Center. And basically, this tool outlines a number of these seemingly outlandish, but still potentially uh, realistic events. And we not only talk about what is it and describe what, what is it, but we also talk about why does it matter? Like, what are the impacts on business? What are the impacts on economics? Um, and also, what are some of the early signals, right? And we also, and in this tool, we're nice enough to actually tell you whether we think the direction is trending uh, to become more subdued or or dormant or more extreme. Uh, and the nice thing about this, the great thing about this tool is we also talk about the macroeconomic impacts as well as the impact on business. And we have a scoring mechanism. So we're gonna put in our own scoring. So for example, um, in the US, an economic grace one is that the US defaults on, after, defaults on its sovereign debt after the debt ceiling is breached. Now, this has never happened, and it comes up every time we have a debt ceiling issue, but the risks are much higher now than they've ever been. So we might make that on a score of four out of five, right? But if you're a business, you might look at all these different gray swans and have different views on how those gray swans are, might affect your business, and you could change the risk, and then it all aggregates into a score, and you can put in scoring by region if you're a multinational or by industry if you are a multifaceted uh, company with many with hands in many industries. 
And the thing is that we're more than happy to sit down with you and actually talk about and go through the swans that are very important to you and help you to rank them to understand how uh, serious any one of them are for your business. And that's part of the whole, that's the first step in terms of understanding what's really important and thinking about what your response is going to be should any of these swans be realized. We're talking about gray swans and what businesses should do about them. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. As you and your company monitor the volatile and uncertain economy, the award-winning forecast team at the Conference Board predicts a downturn by the end of 2022. Recession will further compound the crises that have recently upended expectations, from a deadly pandemic to a war in Ukraine and the highest inflation in decades. Yet, unprecedented crises also present unforeseen opportunities if you have a trusted, proven navigator by your side. With that in mind, and as the Conference Board has always done, we are providing you with daily, timely, and relevant content that will guide the business community through the economic storm. These trusted insights are being gathered on our website and are available to help your company master the challenges. To find out how you can chart a course for the future which will allow your business to emerge stronger on the other side, visit our free economic hub entitled Navigating the Economic Storm, Your Indispensable Guide Through the Global Recession located at conference-board.org slash topics slash recession. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined by Dana Peterson, the Chief Economist at the Conference Board. So Dana, before the break, you were talking about this new tool that you have to, uh, to develop risk probabilities around gray swans. How would, how would you advise our listeners to access that tool? Sure. So like I said, we have two tools right now. One is already established. That's the China Global Gray Swans tool. It's already pre-existent on the China uh, Center website, and you can download it. The nice thing is it's going to be updated in a very short order within another few weeks, and there's going to be a great report. We're also going to publish the Global Gray Swan report, uh, tool within a few weeks, and you'll be able to find that on our MyTCB website as well. Okay, that's great. So how are you advising um, listeners or our members to uh, to plan for these things? Is it, I mean, you know, it, how do you, you've got the tool, uh, you know, so just, but just talk us through the logic of, you know, you're running a business, you've got all these things that could happen. I mean, gosh, it, you know, just listening to you, there's so many things that you could talk yourself into almost anything. And then, but how do you, how does a business leader prioritize these things, assign probabilities to them, and 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 think about you know what what is the probable outcome? Sure. Well, the great news is that we've also produced a seven-part series on how to manage different profiles of risk for your business. Um, I don't remember all seven, <laughs> but they're all on on our MyTCB website. But you know, a number of them, you know, number one is having um, backstops in place as a business, you know, having integrating risk analysis and uh, scenario building into your business is so critical. And if you already have that established, then it's easy to do, right? So if someone presents you with a laundry list of risks, you already know what steps to take. But if you don't have that implemented, it's really important 
to, to do so. And it's key that, you know, executives um, have the support of their boards to actually implement these types of risk management tools within the business. So I think that's really the first step. But, you know, if you haven't done any of that, the first step is to come to us and we'll sit down with you with the tool to at least identify all the things that might be uh, important for you. Yeah, and, and you know, the steps that that the companies can take are, are are the obvious ones. I mean, you have to start with people and so you have to take care of your customers, make sure that you you know, you've got you've got all sorts of backup systems for that that you're taking care of your people. But you know, then it's about financial stability and and making sure that you have the where, financial wherewithal to deal with possible fluctuations, access to the capital markets, and those kinds of things. So, I guess what you're saying is, you know, in the end, I mean, you know, just to put a, a you know giant label on it is, you know, you take a little bit more conservative financial management profile. Yeah, so something that we've written about in that in that seven part series is just having liquidity, right? Um, we saw back during the financial crisis where liquidity dried up nearly overnight. Um, businesses were not able to access capital, both uh, from financial markets as well as from third party entities. So. It's very important to make sure that whatever comes your way, that your businesses are liquid. And it's not only that, you have to make sure that your counterparties, meaning your, your customers and all the folks within your supply chain also have adequate liquidity. And if they don't, do you have contingency plans um, and making sure that you have enough uh, reserves such that if all of your customers or a good percentage of them default, that your business won't suffer a catastrophic loss or even collapse. Yeah, so it's 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 really contingency planning, but contingency planning beyond you know the close-in things because there's so many exogenous factors in a more globalized world. So I, that's kind of what I hear you saying in this, and it's it's a matter of sitting down and really doing an exercise of of saying what what are they? What are the possibilities? you know, assign your own probability to it. And then uh, trying to understand and map then if that happens, it's sort of the if then, if that happens, then what would be the impact on my business? And then how do I, you know, how do I just hedge against those potential risks? So there is, there is some science and, and, and some process to this exercise. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's just run through the list again and, you know, give your own guesstimate of the, of the probability for these things. Let's just talk about some, you, you mentioned some of the downside risk, you know, intensification of Ukraine war and, and, and then thereby affecting global businesses, high, low. I think if on a scale of one to five, I'd probably skew it towards the high side, maybe giving it a four um, because this could lead to a broader conflict that involves all industries. Now, some industries will have the opportunity for growth in that scenario, clearly, because they'll be part of that war effort. But then, you know, consumer spending is going to collapse, right? Because consumers will have to, you know, redirect their, their focus on like a war machine type mentality. And so, that will be bad for services. So I, I think that, you know, it's 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 certainly not a good thing. Of course, there'll be the humanitarian 
crisis aspect of it, but it's really going to disrupt the economy um, in terms of, again, shifting between what's most important in terms of producing goods versus services. Another thing you've written about is labor shortages and, uh, you know, the effect on uh, compensation. Your thoughts on probabilities there? Well, again, I think that's, that's I would give that even a five. <laughs> We're already seeing the repercussions of labor shortages, and they're just going to become worse, and they're going to be an issue for the foreseeable future unless there are significant policy changes. Certainly businesses can put Band-Aids on the problem. Indeed, they are. They're raising uh, wages and benefits, and that's feeding into inflation. Um, and so we're seeing that in real time. But certainly if you don't see policies that encourage people to go into trades or, or policies that encourage people to enter the labor market and remain there, or even immigration policies, and this is not just in the U.S., but certainly in Europe and China and Japan, um, then we're just going to see even worse labor shortages and even faster inflation and cent central banks having to raise interest rates even more aggressively and keeping them elevated more aggressively, which ultimately can cause longer and deeper recessions. Yeah, and you know, e even though uh, we and and other um, economic forecasting groups, you know, say that this should be a relatively mild recession, and we're you know we, we're just about done, maybe one or two small rate hikes. I mean, it the possibilities are that it could be higher, and so you know, if you're talking about a gray swan event, higher inflation, higher interest rates, you know, would be, I guess, a gray swan on top of what would be a normalized prediction. Well, I actually think it's more of a risk, meaning that it's more likely to happen. You know, certainly we're, we're very concerned about lingering inflation pressures. And certainly China is going to reopen, which is great for the domestic economy. It's also great for all the other economies that benefit from tourism. But it also means there's going to be stronger demand for energy. And energy oil prices are priced at a global level. And so that means that, you know, China reopening and coming back could potentially mean faster inflation and stickier inflation. And central banks that have been talking about being close to the end of their tightening cycles might not be. And certainly, even when we're looking at the war in, the war in Ukraine, it's having significant implications for food prices, in addition to bad events like droughts and flooding and bird flu and all those kinds of things. And inflation can be much stickier. And so that's certainly something that we think is a little more probable. But if this we have we enter a period of, of stagflation, which is essentially very low growth and high inflation over an extended period of time, that's certainly not something that I think a lot of businesses are prepared for. And it's something that they should be thinking about. Yeah, and then you've talked about some of the geopolitical risks. Of course, there's the China-U.S. Uh, situation, um, obviously Russia, Ukraine, Russia and China, <laughs> but there's also Greece and Turkey. There's also North Korea and Iran. You know, all, all you know these. Yes. And, and the and the and the possibility here that you 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 know the world kind of lines up into two blocks. You know, essentially, you know, with the with the Western bloc on one side and the. Uh, the axis of China and uh, Russia and their satellites, on the other hand, if that goes into you know deeper divisions into those blocks, is, it, does that create further downside risk for companies? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Especially if you're a multinational, because what do you do, right? You have businesses set up in, in both of the two blocks. Do you have different business models? Do you have different ways of operating? And all that is expensive. It's complicated. And you may even need to pull out of a certain country because you're on the wrong side of the railroad tracks, if you will. So I think that's very complex and certainly something businesses are going to have to consider. And it's interesting, Steve, in our latest CEO outlook, we asked executives, what are you doing with your supply chains? And in the US, 44%, and maybe even a little bit higher, said they're going to do absolutely nothing with their supply chains, meaning they're fully aware of the divisions, especially between the the US and China and different economies lining up with those two big economies, but they're not thinking about, or they're not actively doing anything about protecting their supply chains. And that may come as a shock to some businesses if industrial policies start weighing more heavily on what they do. And industrial policies are basically when government tells business where they can situate their factories and their supply chains. Yeah, and if you think about all of these possible gray swan events and and risks uh, that you've talked about, you know every one of them, you know, weighs heavily on the supply chain. Whether it's you know raw inputs or whether it's convert, you know, manufacturing conversion capacity and where it is, you know, we have so much of our supply chains invested in China, and you know that that simply could disappear. It seems to me that if you're advising companies. And you know, to look at Grace One events, you have to be you have to be advising them to diversify their supply chains near shore, near shore, onshore. You know, get get it spread out a little bit to de-risk, right? Yes, I mean, but it's expensive. That's why lots of firms that want to do it. It's but, expensive and it's time-consuming. Yeah. Yes, and I think another area companies uh, really need to think about if they aren't already is the advance of technology. We've had certain types of technology like you know, quantum computing, AI, 3D printing, and all that's just kind of been out there, you know, uh, the metaverse and all those things have just been kind of not really absorbed by businesses. But all of a sudden, these things are now becoming commercial. And this is going to be highly disruptive. I just think about what we do. We create insights. So what if <laughs> you, Steve, get a chatbot? Oh, we already have chatbots and you start replacing some of your economists and your researchers because the chatbot can, you know, chat GPT can write a better report than we can. So automation is going to be huge and it's going to be very disruptive. Just think about if 3D printing became commercially available where every household had a 3D printer, all of a sudden they could print, they could print whatever goods they might have been purchasing from retailers, Right or getting shipped from abroad. So I think all of these things are really big issues that firms need to think about in terms of being highly disruptive, in some ways for the better, but also in some ways for the worse. Wait a minute, Dana, I'm still writing. (laughs) Replace all economists with chat GPT. I got it, okay. (laughs) There you go, in the insight of the day. Absolutely not, Dana Peterson, you are irreplaceable. And thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely, Steve. It's always fun. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening in to CEL Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. 
We'll cover the leading topics in economics, geopolitics, public policy, and more. Please share CEO perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family, with all of your economists. I'm Steve Odlin, and this podcast has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.